Good morning, everyone, and, and welcome to uh, the 16th, I believe, edition of, of, of MediaWorks Digital Drop-Ins, which we've been hosting over the past few weeks. Um, I suppose today's, today's focus is going to be around how brands should be responding kind of post-COVID-19. Um, we've, we've kindly been joined by um, Matt Little and, and Alec Gillespie uh, of GWI um, as guest panelists today. Um, both the guys, as I mentioned, work for, for market, well, global market um, research leader, Global Web Index. Um, and the guys will be able to give a short intro of, of, of what their roles are and, and a bit more about GWI um, in, in a couple of minutes or so. Um, the rest of the panel, uh, there's myself, Brett Jacobson, founder and, and CEO of MediaWorks. Um, we've got Andy Blankensop, who is creative director at MediaWorks. Andy, do you want to say hello? Good morning, everybody. We've also got Paul Mallett, who is managing partner of our Leeds office uh, of MediaWorks as well. Do you want to say hello, Paul? Hello there. And uh, and yeah, we'll get we'll get Matt and Alec to do a short intro in a moment or so before we before we hop onto the questions. So I suppose the the the, the key kind of summary and focus of what today is about is um, Matt and Alec are going to be sharing some of their insights and in, in, in marketing trends and opportunities that that GWI have been gathering over the the past eight weeks or so during you know what they kind of term as waves of research, which I'm sure they'll, they'll come on to and explain a little bit more about. Um, GWI have access to about 18 million consumers, um, 40,000 different plus attributes and around 4,000 brands. So it's a huge source of data. It's real time. It's up to the minute. And, and I think in today's you know world, which is evolving so rapidly, having access to this kind of market insight is, is critical. So hopefully everyone will take a lot of value from today. Um, and again, we'll kind of combine that with what we've been seeing from our clients across the last few weeks and what we've been talking about in a few of our other sessions. So hopefully there'll be there'll be a lot of value there. Um, so before we kind of kick off with the questions, Paul, is it can you get a get worth getting a couple of introductions from the guys to what their roles are and also a little bit more yeah. about GWI for anybody who isn't already aware of it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, and, and just a little bit of background. I mean, I, I kind of came across Global Web Index quite a few years ago now, and it's um, proven to be one of those tools that's absolutely invaluable in terms of um, devising marketing strategies. And, um, you know, not only just looking at, um, you know, the, there's a clue in the name, it's global, but then the UK data is uh, exceptional as well. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of those tools that as a kind of modern marketing professional, you can't really live without this kind of data. Uh, and especially when we're going into a, a situation like we've been in at the moment, and I think that you know we've been uh, we've been very very glad that we we've got a tool like this uh, that's kind of part of our our armory when we're when we're looking at how to respond to challenges like we've had recently. So you know um, yeah that's a, that's a bit of personal background on it, um, and I guess uh, yes. So uh, I, I guess if we just do a quick intro, so Matt, if you wanted to say who you are. Yeah, of course. So, uh, first off, thank you so much for inviting us to be on the panel today. Um, really excited to be joining you. Um, yeah, so I'm an account director at Global Web Index. Um, I've been there for two and a half years um, and I solely work with agencies, um, but on a global remit. So obviously quite a few agencies within the UK, but also across APAC, Europe and the Americas as well. Great. And Alec? Yeah, so thanks again for having us on. Um, it's quite nice to do something slightly different, a bit refreshing um, during these times. So I'm um, looking forward to today. And then in terms of my role at Global Web Index, 
I work as a customer success manager. So very similar to Matt, I'm also really focusing on independent agencies across EMEA and APAC. But my role is a bit more hands-on in terms of really helping the customers get the most out of our data and understanding our research. Great. Brilliant. Well, we're glad, very glad to have you with us today. Um, and I think, um, you know, the way these things work, we have a little bit of a chat first and then we try and work out what's going to be really beneficial to our, our, our attendees. And, um, and and I think we talked around a bit of a kind of framework of, you know, what, what has happened, what's going on now and what may be going to happen in the future. Um, and and I think that you know that we'll we'll leave the get what's going to be in the future till the end. And obviously that's a, that's a, the killer question that everybody wants to know. But I guess to just kick off with then, um, I think from from the data that that you guys have, have been pulling, and uh, you know we're, we're a number of waves in through the the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I think the first question is: so what what do you think are the big changes that you've seen within kind of purchase behaviour? Yeah, sure. So quite interestingly, um, with our most recent wave of data, um, which was mid-April, we saw 67% of UK consumers saying that they will or they have already delayed big purchases. So quite interestingly as well, that was more prominent in younger generations. So if we compare Gen Z with boomers, 70% of Gen Z had said they'd delayed a big purchase um, and that dropped off slightly to 63% um, with boomers. And kind of what goes hand in hand to that is um, a question that we asked about how people expect coronavirus to impact their personal finances. Um, And almost a third of UK consumers have said that they expect coronavirus to have a big or dramatic impact um, on their finance, uh, personal finances. So kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that that is going to drive people to perhaps delay bigger purchases. Um, Interestingly, when we look at personal finances um, and break it down on an, uh, an age group level, we found that millennials were actually the most prevalent to have said that they expect Um, coronavirus to have a big or dramatic impact on their finances. Um, Whilst it was prevalent across all age groups, they uh, slightly more millennials had said, so it was 36% of millennials who had said um, they expect for this to have an impact. And I guess that's because the Gen Zers maybe feel like they've got less to lose and the boomers have got it all safely tucked away in savings. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was quite interesting. And, and even as I said, you know, it was um, when you look at the different age groups, there aren't huge differences. You could still see a clear dif- a clear trend that the older generations are maybe a little bit less concerned that it's going to have a big impact. Interesting. And what about into any any particular kind of um sectors or um you know i guess clearly we're going to see things like travel um but you know any any particular sectors coming through yeah absolutely so um probably comes as no surprise that the the holidays come out tops in terms of delayed purchases so across uk consumers um it was 45 percent of people who had said they delayed purchasing a holiday um that was followed by flights at just under 30% of UK consumers and about a quarter had said they delayed um, clothing, purchasing clothing. 
Yeah. And then and that's, that's quite an interesting one. So you wouldn't want to be in the bikini um, market <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> no. <laughs> and and is, is there something as well that kind of goes, is it not that also that um, like holidays and things like that is, that, is that not one of the things that people are most looking forward to? I mean, they might, they might feel like they're going to delay it. but Yeah, absolutely. So as part of our third study, we've started to ask a lot more questions around people's expected behaviours once breakdowns eased or post-lockdown. Um, so interestingly, um, almost a third, so 30% of UK consumers have said that holidays will be their number one priority um, post-COVID-19. Um, and quite interestingly, there's a bit of an age pattern at, at work here too. So older consumers, so the older age groups are more likely to say they'd prioritise this. Um, so that was 36% of boomers saying this would be their number one priority in terms of purchases. Um, slightly lower for Gen Z, who have said 26% um, would this would where this would be their number one priority. Yeah, cool. And um, I, I guess so. You know, that's that's kind of people's perceptions of um, uh, you know that they've delayed things. Um, how how about? Um, so I guess kind of moving on to the uh, uh, next kind of theme would be, um, have people's actual buying behaviours changed? Um, you, you know, we've all been, you know, clearly we've all been locked down, the shops are shut. Um, what, what have you seen in terms of data about actually how people are going about purchasing? Yeah, so I think I'm going to jump in just on this side of things. The kind of big predominant overarching change that we've seen and probably one that's in line with what we've all seen outside of our windows ourselves is the increase in online shopping. Um, it's absolutely massive in terms of how many people are actually moving their purchasing behavior to the online world and towards e-commerce. The actual data behind that, so um, just to give you an idea as well with our research waves and how they work, um, they're done on a global basis. So we ask around 17 different markets these different questions. And on a kind of global average of those 17 markets that tend to be those which are most affected, we actually had almost one in two consumers. Um, so just under one in two consumers told us that they were doing more online shopping. Now, interestingly, in the UK itself, it's actually over the average. So over 50% of UK consumers have told us that they're doing more online shopping. Now, in terms of actual trends within that particular area, I mean, in terms of the generations, it's fairly predictable with your Gen Z and millennials most likely to have adapted these changes and maybe some of your older generations, such as baby boomers, less likely to do so. And then in terms of the products and the categories that are most benefiting from this increase in online shopping, we've really seen a bit of a focus from the data around essentials. So any kind of essentials, whether it be food or grocery products, household essentials, personal care products, all those sort of day-to-day -day items that people used to pop out for and go to the shop tend to be seeing the biggest increase in terms of online shopping. I think that's quite, that's quite a significant thing really, isn't it? Because um, a lot of the, the kind of supermarket retail model is, is, is built on the reliance that people need to keep popping out for those things and then you'll pick up the other, the other products um, on top of it. So, so for the essentials to have shifted online is quite, quite a big deal. Yeah. And we saw a few other categories doing particularly well. Um, I think clothes was another one. But again, that fits into that same old school retail idea of 
and going down to the high street and buying your clothes as you do, as you would do with the essentials. So there's a bit of a trend there with the types of categories that are doing particularly well. Paul, I think, um, if I can just jump in as well, I think there's an unusual trend happening, and it's certainly for, for me and my wife as well, is I think the online was sore as a bit of a killer of your sort of local butchers and grocers and these kinds of people. And actually, I feel like there's a trend emerging where these smaller businesses have really adapted really quickly. They've become super agile. And actually, I find there's a, there's a, there's a sort of trend of actually wanting to buy more local and if they can provide that digital service, they're kind of they're coming out of this hugely positive. You know, there's a we've just moved house. There's a local kind of grocery farmers market is we didn't know kind of was there is is now offering kind of like these home deliveries of fresh fruit and vegetables, and it's it's super reasonable. You know, you're kind of buying local, you're engaging digitally with them, and you're you're ordering online, and they're delivering it to your door. And I can't see that being something that we're going to stop. You know, post yeah. all of this. And, and I think, um, really and I think the guys you had some data on um, how that, that, that it's kind of changed some of the really important stuff around, you know, so in that world, then delivery becomes really important and the reliance on, you know, that, that kind of thing. And have you, have you seen stuff coming through in the waves about that? Yeah, so we've actually got some really interesting points on that. And I think we've covered off so far what the current behaviours look like. But in our most recent wave of research, we kind of focused a bit more on the future outlook and started to ask people about, after the outbreak, what kind of behaviours are you expecting? And I think to, to kick us off with that, I think in line with what we've just been saying around online shopping, we actually found that over a quarter of UK consumers told us that they expected to continue to shop online more after the outbreak. So it's not so much just a behaviour that people are taking part in now, it's very much something that a large amount of them are expecting to continue after the corona period. Um, and interestingly, in line with that, as well as shopping more online, we had around 28% of consumers who told us they expected to shop less in-store and 24% who told us they were intending to spend less time inside stores. So you can see that there's obviously going to be a continuation. Um, and then in terms of what people are prioritising with this online delivery and online shopping, as you mentioned, um, the current trend actually seems to be changing the purchase drivers slightly and we actually asked consumers which purchase drivers were going to take on more important more importance in the future after the outbreak and what we saw coming out on top was first of all free delivery so free delivery was around 48 percent of consumers thinking that had gained importance because of the pandemic and reliable delivery was just underneath this at 40 percent of consumers and what I found most interesting about this question personally um, is one of the other options we had in there was next day delivery. And only 15% of people thought that had taken on a higher importance because of the corona period. So actually what we're seeing, and I think a good way to equip yourselves for the future in terms of what kind of online shopping purchase drivers are really going to drive the consumer, it tends to be a bit more based around reliability um, and no additional costs for this new behaviour rather than the actual speed aspect. Yeah, I think, um, sorry, just to, I, this one really interested me, I think, and, you know, the fact that you guys are now starting to kind of produce these, da these data and insights on the future and what people are looking for off the back of this, I think is really important. Everything we've spoke about for the past kind of, you know, five weeks is about communicating in the, in the now. And I do feel like it's now the time to start communicating 
the, the app, you know, what's going to, what it's going to look like on the other side. And I think that, that delivery and, and what's important to people is one of the most important things of we've just come out of one of the most uncertain times that the younger generation has ever seen. And, and what that there shows me is that it's just, it's, it's about removing that uncertainty. You know, we, we, we're now standing around the corner at Asda for 15, 15 to 45 minutes to get in the store. We don't mind that we've become a lot more patient and, um, you know, and, off the back of that, the patience is fine. We're prepared to wait as long as we know when. And I think it's just that uncertainty. If you can give people um, clarity and I suppose be confident in the way that you communicate, it, it will be here then. That's all people care about at the minute. I think it's it's critical. I think I think you're right, Andy. I think it's it's I think you know six months ago, three months ago, the 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 sort of society was about on demand. It was Amazon Prime. It was Netflix. It was skip the adverts, live streaming, what I want, I want it now, I want it tomorrow, you know, Amazon was delivering stuff in two hours and that wasn't fast enough for some people. And, and I think you're right, the culture's been, people People have, have become patient, they've become more reasonable, they've become less demanding as long as that comfort's there of, of a surety. And I think a surety is more important than urgency now. And that wasn't the case, I don't think, with society. So it's great to see the data backing that up, guys, for sure. And I think that goes back to the holiday. You know, when we spoke about that previously, what are people looking for there? Safety. That's the big message now. It's, yeah, you get me across the other side of the world. Brilliant. I, I cannot wait. However, I want to know if it, how are you going to make sure that that's a very safe experience? And again, is, is cost, you know, are people going to be less bothered about cost and more just about being able to get there safely and almost um, kind of certain that they're actually going to get there? I think it's really interesting um, yeah. with this future look and stuff. So, um, so, so, kind of moving on to the, the, another kind of thing. So, uh, so people's the way people are buying and the way they're thinking of buying has, has changed. I mean, the other obvious thing that we've all had loads of time to sit in front of all our devices and um, choose how we're going to consume our, our media. Um, so, what what do you guys? What have you guys discovered about how how that might have changed over the period? Yeah, so interestingly, with our uh, Wave 2 data, so just for context, that was launched at the end of March, so kind of post-lockdown, quite quite soon after lockdown happened, um, we saw a huge increase in the number of people who were saying they were spending more time consuming different media types. So just to pull out a few examples, 55% of UK consumers said they were watching more news almost 40% spending more time on social media, um, 50% saying they were spending more time watching shows and films on things like Netflix and Prime. So we saw a massive spike um, post-lockdown. With our third wave of data, so going towards the, the end of April, we did see a bit of a, dec a decrease in terms of the number of people who said they were spending more time consuming these media types. And I think that's really just because people were starting to get used to living in a lockdown situation, as opposed to in the early days, finding things maybe to, to fill up spare time. But I, I think it's quite significant that still a large number of people with our third wave, so towards the end of April, still a large number of people are saying they're spending more time consuming these media types. So, Almost half of UK consumers have said they're spending more time watching the news, a third more time on social media, and just under half watching things like Netflix and Prime. So I think going forward, that's certainly going to be a trend in terms of people 
spending more time consuming these media types. Yeah, cool. And um, and you know, we we've had a few conversations over these drop-ins about um, you know increases in people listening to radio, um, stuff around. Um, it's never been cheaper to advertise on Facebook. I'm sure it's been a, a bit of a bargain time on uh, ITV as well. Um, which has left then a lot of brands considering um, what what consumers wanting to see from them because you know certainly a few weeks ago people were, were brands and, and businesses were quite hesitant to 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 advertise. Um, so although it seems like it's been a, a, a great opportunity for some brands, do you have any insights into how people are feeling about how brands should be be behaving? Yeah, so this this was one of the big questions that we were getting from a lot of our clients, and we ran a number of different questions. Um, and the most interesting one was just asking the respondents generally whether they approved or disapproved of different types of brand actions. Now, that could range from anything from the brand running some kind of special loyalty scheme down to pledging money and aid to society on a whole. So there's a variety of things in there. But I think the main takeaway from that question for, for me and the research team was that in terms of what UK consumers are really expecting of their brands and approving of, I mean, firstly, they, they really want their brands to be helping others during the pandemic, but they also want to clearly see this. So they want to know exactly what their brands are doing. And brands need to be able to demonstrate clearly to their audiences exactly what it is that they're doing to help others. And on top of that, consumers are also looking for brands to, to advise them in terms of personal information and help um, for them to deal with the situation on a whole, as opposed to gaining from it on an individual level. So to maybe break down some of the data that that feeds into that. Almost two-thirds um, of consumers approve to brands pledging money or aid to help people. And then 78% of them also approve of brands providing kind of practical information and tips, which are really going to help people to deal with the situation. Now, what I found most interesting about this question, because it can be kind of hard to put into context what that means, is that actually there was a number of behaviours on there that are a bit more focused on the benefits for the individual consumer. Um, so let's say running promotions or producing lower cost items and flexible payment terms that are more individualistic behaviors that the consumer could benefit from. And actually I found that all of the behaviors that were more based around the brand, really making an effort to help society on a whole and make that evident were a lot more approved by the consumer than those that were gonna help them on an individual basis. So that was the, the key takeaway from that. So I think personally for me, something that popped into my mind, and um, this is probably down to the fact that I've had far too many deliveries since we've been locked up, <laughs> campaign that they're running around helping um, or being able to donate money and meals to NHS workers, which is very boldly on the top of their page, is exactly the type of campaign that people are expecting where they've got that option to help others. And it's also showing exactly the part that the brand are playing within that. Yeah, sure, sure. I think it's important brands are, I, I totally agree with that, Alec, and it's 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 a lot of what we've been saying and seeing within our client base and we've been talking about over the last few weeks. I think it's super important, though, that those gestures, I think, are seen as genuine. And I think they'll obviously, as with all these things, there's a danger that if brands try to engage in that activity and it is more of a market employee, that could go the other way, I would think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think something that's really interesting on that as well, so that we really had a good idea of what they're expecting of brands. Um, but something that came through in the most recent wave of research um, is that the actions that are being taken now are really going to be remembered in the future. 
So I think we had about a third of UK consumers um, who told us that in terms of influencing factors when they were going to be purchasing from brands after the outbreak is over, a third of those told us that those that helped people during the outbreak, so brands that helped people during the outbreak, were going to be one of the key influencing factors. So it actually looks like if those actions are done genuinely, as you've said, and they've made a, a resonating impact on the consumer, it's not only going to increase current engagement, but also after the outbreak as well. Yeah, yeah, great. And uh, so, so I think I think the um, the, la- the last bit is um, so obviously we're careering into a weekend where Boris is going to tell us what we're going to be allowed to do or not do on Sunday. Um, apparently, IKEA got a memo that that none of the rest of us got because my wife got an email this morning saying IKEA is going to be open from a week on Monday. So. Hi. Um, so, so there's something going on, um, but I think that I, I think what's interesting though is that in spite of anything that might get announced, it's now really important for us to understand how people are feeling about how they're going to behave post lockdown. So it, it might be brilliant that IKEA is open, but is anybody anybody going to go, or are people going to be sat there feeling a bit nervous? Um, so I wonder whether you guys have got any or started to get data through about about that. Yeah, so we've started with a third way to ask people about how they kind of expect to behave, um, their levels of concern post um, lockdown. Quite interestingly, there appears to still be quite um, a general feeling of nervousness again uh, across UK consumers. Um, so a quarter of UK um, consumers have said they expect to eat out less at restaurants, uh, 20% saying they expect to visit pubs less. Um, and where the figures... I mean, just really... a visit to a pub would be good. But... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, um, where the figures really start to become interesting is when um, people are asked about how... When they will start returning to things like shops, um, indoor venues, so like concert halls, arenas, football matches... Um, And it's really there where we see large numbers of people saying they're not going to do that for quite a long time. Um, So kind of 51% saying um, it will be a long time before they visit concert halls, cinemas, arenas. But interestingly, when we looked at the data, only a quarter of people said the same with regards to visiting shops. So there seems to be much less of a concern in, with regards to people going out shopping post-lockdown as opposed to going to the cinema, for example. Um, and I don't know whether that's because shops, in some degree, have already been open. Um, they've been scrutinised quite a lot. They've had to have clear strategies in terms of how they're dealing with this, whereas cinemas, for example, haven't maybe had the chance to do so. So that's where that difference in concern comes from. Yeah, and I mean, certainly, you know, intuitively, you can you feel that, um, we, you know, we've got our heads around queuing outside, like Andy said, outside Asda. So what's the difference with a garden centre or a, you know, a, a big department store? Surely they can do the same thing. But it does feel a bit different when you start saying a football stadium or a, or a you know, a, 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 you know, a big concert. And I think that I think Paul that, that gets back to that. I, I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, in my opinion. If it, it's we've got a head around that bit, 
but that is the other bit in terms of these kind of larger mass participation things. We haven't got our head around and we don't know what to expect. So I, I feel like, you know, we've, we've seen that there's concern within, you know, consumers. So it, it's kind of getting to that point of, of starting to communicate early, early as possible what you are doing to keep people safe. And you know, when we talk about the, the building brand loyalty and, and it, how important it is to talk about what you're doing to look after people, it all ties into that. You know, people would be looking for brands to communicate what they are going to do for you know consumers coming in for staff. You know, communicating what you're going to do for the members of of, of your staffing yeah. and how you're going to look after them and keep those guys safe. Yeah, and it and it, and it and it and it says that there's a whole a whole new bit of stuff now that we have to recognise people feeling nervous. So it is about reassurance, but it's it it, it, it all ties into that same set of stuff about re- reliability, being genuine, being authentic. But now we need to be acknowledging that people. It's not. It's not scared like they were before. It's not shut down the lockdown. It's now nervous. Mm. It's it, it, it's feeling cautious. So so in our in our marketing, we need to be acknowledging that, and and that's going to take us into a slightly different um, different way of talking, maybe. Yeah, and when we talk about that uplift on in, on social channels, you know, those those are great channels to start communicating these messages where it is a conversation. You know, you can be as a brand, you can talk in a very honest and human way because you know it that's what people expect we see you know we always see these fantastic things being shared on linkedin or whatever and it's how you know virgin might be responding to customers on their twitter where that personality really comes through and i think you know that that genuine honesty is is perfect for those social channels just so happens that's where all our consumers are so it all it all kind of it can all start to stitch together quite nicely yeah i think in addition to that as well so there's obviously a clear picture that people in the future expect to spend more time at home um so there's some other stats that we looked at so like a fifth so nearly 20 percent have said that they plan to work home more frequently in the future obviously that goes hand in hand with us seeing increases um in usage of stuff like uh, video conferencing platforms um there's a quarter of people who have said they plan to exercise more at home so i think that going back to what paul said about that kind of concern the the data suggests that at least in the near future people still expect to spend more time at home than um before covid19 um even after lockdown so maybe that it will be quite a slow um a slow journey back to normality yeah, I think I think you're right, Matt. I think there's 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 one thing being able to do something and being allowed to go to the the cinema or these places. There's another thing, you know, actually wanting to do that. And I think you're right. I think you know what what we've seen with a lot of our clients and 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 the, and the consumers is that this is kind of accelerated trends that were already happening, but have just happened at a much steeper curve because you know the, the, all of these things we've talked about here you know, are things that there's probably been small dials moving in that direction previously. But I think this situation's just accelerated people's behavior. And yeah, I think I think it's reassuring to think that a lot of the big purchases and a lot of people are, are talking about delaying these sort of purchases as opposed to canceling them, which, you know, is, is encouraging for us. And I think a lot of clients that there will be this kind of rebound or uptick in kind of Q3 and, and certainly into Q4. Um, and moving forwards, which is which is positive, I think, for everybody. But I think for sure, there's there's going to be a lot of behaviours that stick, and this is going to be a slow a slow release if we do go back to you know 
I, I can't imagine how quickly I want to run back to a pub with a few hundred people, you know, next to King's Cross or whatever. And uh, yeah, I think that'll be a while for that for that happening. Yeah, either that or tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, I think I think we'll. It's got to be. They've got to be easing measures on Sunday, haven't they? Because that's got to be the main reason of delaying it from Thursday. You know, I think the worry of yeah. easing measures on Thursday ahead of Bank mm-hmm. Holiday was that everybody goes piling out into the streets and, you know, probably creates a bigger problem for, mm. a, for a few people. But I think, um, so hopefully this starts to ease moving forward. One thing I was going to ask guys is, what the, you talk about these waves of research. How, how regular do you carry these out? When's the next one anticipated? And, and what exactly does that involve? Yeah, so the next wave, um, so just to put it in context, I know Alec um, already mentioned it briefly. So we've had three waves. Um, it was kind of mid-March, at the end of March and then mid-April. Um, and it's 17 markets in total. It's a global sample size of around 15,000 people being interviewed now. Um, it's just over 1,000 in the UK. The next wave is earmarked. It's not been promised yet, but to be um, mid to late May. And I think it will be really interesting just on the, port, uh, the point you were talking um, about then um obviously that's going to be post sunday's announcements whatever they may be so it'll be really interesting to learn about how the announcements on sunday change people's perceptions optimism whether their concern levels go down because i i imagine they will do once they've had kind of some kind of reinsurance with regards mm-hmm. to what's going to happen and there's been, I think there's been around two weeks or 10 days to two weeks difference in each of these waves of research, right? And I think on a on a higher level, what we've seen is there are quite big changes. And um, obviously, as we know, the consumers' attitudes and behaviours are changing very quickly at the moment. And I think that's something that the research um, just backs up overall. So I think that really feeds into the, the necessity for, for brands to really be nimble um, in terms of what they're doing, keeping up to speed with what their consumers want. Um, and believing because that's changing pretty quickly at the moment as you'd expect absolutely fantastic cool uh, paul have you got anything to add before i think we wrap up in terms of time no no uh, i think that's, that's, it's just been really really interesting i mean obviously we've we've seen a bit of the data as it's been coming through but it's good to reflect back on it and to and to look ahead as well um yeah never never needed data and insight more than we do right now Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, um, thank you very much to all the participants, attendees. Thank you to the panel. Really appreciate Alec, Matt. Thank you very much for your, your time you. and, and, and obviously you. Paul and Andy. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the wrap for today. We'll be back on uh, Tuesday with our next digital drop-in, which will be the second part or second installment of our SEO series focused on on-page optimization, content strategies. So we'll send around the podcast of today and we'll send around the guys' details if anybody did want to get in contact. GWI again, fantastic organization. Thanks again, guys. And um, yeah, enjoy the weekend. Stay safe, everyone. Cheers.